0: Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Grace. We started this morning with our first hymn, um, We Gather Together. That, I think we'll sing that hymn at least once a year at Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving-ish hymn. It's rather traditional in that way. Uh, let me read you some remarks from Warren Weersby, a great Bible teacher uh, who's now with the Lord. He said, The next time you sing, Now Thank We All Our God, try to remember that Martin Rinkhart wrote it during the Thirty Years' War, when his pastoral duties were most difficult. He conducted as many as 40 funerals a day, including that of his own wife. Yet he wrote those beautiful words as a table grace for his family. In spite of war and plague around him and sorrow within him, he was able to give thanks to the Lord from a grateful heart. So a good reminder of God's thanksgiving. Our text today is we're going to break away from the Gospel of John to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and a familiar passage perhaps should be, but we want to look at it again, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet and giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. So in this encounter, we see a challenge of gratitude. We see great blessing. Ten had a phenomenal blessing, an unparalleled blessing, but only one responded with gratitude. What a challenge that is to us in this season. Now, the background to this event, or if you will, what precedes this, this um, encounter is John chapter 11. You might remember John chapter 11 was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That caused quite a stir. Remember, that happened in Bethany, which is just across uh, the valley, just, just behind or on the other side of the Mount of Olives, so very close to Jerusalem. An easy walk. And so... Uh, that caused a stir in Jerusalem. Jesus already was, was ruffling feather, feathers with his teaching and with his ministry. And already there were discussion, how do we deal with this problem of Jesus? And then, right there next to Jerusalem, in the presence of many Jewish and pro- leaders and prominent Jewish citizens... He did the unthinkable. He didn't just heal a disease. He brought forth Lazarus, who had already been in the grave for four days. And the trouble is, it didn't happen off in some unknown village. It happened right there on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And again, many prominent Jewish leaders who had been comforting the family during their time of death, perhaps were there at the time of burial, so there was no question. I saw him dead, I saw him go into the tomb, and four days later, in the same grave clothes, I saw him walk out. There is no answer except to say it happened, and Jesus did it. And so, what the response should have been to that, then he, obviously he's the Messiah, let's worship him. But instead it was, obviously, we need to kill him because we cannot in any other way answer him. And they even started plotting too. And and Lazarus is a a problem. Every time people see him, they're going to remember him coming out of the tomb. So the only thing we can do is we're going to put him back in the tomb. That That was the unbelieving response. And so with that rising tension, and it wasn't yet time for Jesus to die, he left. And he went to a, a, a village, John eleven fifty four 54 tells us, he went to a town called Ephraim. Ephraim. Uh, we're not exactly sure where that is, but it was, it was, it's out in the wilderness. It was away from the big city, a place where he could have some privacy. And, and that is the background to what happens in verse 11, which says, Now it happened as Jesus, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now, this is, this is the pro- one of the times when some of you are using your devices to look at your Bible. And that's okay. I do that all the time. But one of the problems is it's a little harder with that. In, 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 remember these, these things? It's a book made of paper. The nice thing about a Bible, what they call the dead tree version, is in the back are, are maps. Okay, That's helpful. And, and they're meant to be helpful. And if you're to, oh, here's a good example. There's a wonderful map. Of Canaan. Now, this is this one says from the conquest time, but you get the basic idea. And I always think the easy way to re- when I think of Israel's geography, I always see Mediterranean Sea. And then I've done this for you a number of times. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. Well, between the Sea of Galilee and around the Sea of Galilee is the region they call Galilee. Isn't that surprising? Um, and, uh, but this, there's, that's Galilee. South of the Galilean region is the region that was called Samaria. And we remember about Samaritans, right? Remember, these were people that did not get along well with the Jews. And it's a, kind of a long historical background. Um, when the Assyrians conquered the region of Samaria, they took their captives away and they brought captives in. And so they intentionally mingled uh, cultures and religions so the Samaritans were viewed at the Jews as not really Jews and not, certainly not real Judaism. So there was a conflict. Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Couldn't even agree, where's the temple for worship? But we're told Jesus on his, was, was on his way to Jerusalem. He passed from Samaria to Galilee. And again, if you're looking at a map, there's something strange here. If you're heading to Jerusalem, you would think he would say, From Galilee to Samaria. But he says he went from Samaria to Galilee. So he could go to Jerusalem. This looks like. That sounds like me. Before the GPS's came out. Which which way should he go? But, But it actually makes sense. And here's why I'm connecting it to John 11. He left Jerusalem. Because of the post Lazarus plotting. He headed up to Ephraim. But now he wants to come to Jerusalem, and he wants to join the Galilean pilgrims. See, they were getting ready to come to the Passover festival in Jerusalem. And what that meant is, you know, remember, every family was supposed to come. Jesus' family did it all the time he was growing up. And so the families up in the Galilean region would come south to Jerusalem. But remember, that would naturally mean they would come down through Samaria, and the Samaritans were really bothered when they saw Jews going to Jerusalem to worship because that's not the temple they approved. And so you might meet hostility if you're coming from Galilee toward Jerusalem. Now if you're leaving Jerusalem heading towards Galilee, it wasn't a problem. So the pilgrims took the long route. We all do this, don't we? Aren't there certain areas that maybe in a town um, you you think, oh after dark I'm not going downtown in that city, I'm going to I'm going to take an end run around it. So what they would do is they would leave Galilee, go east across the Jordan River, come down to Jericho, and then back up to Jerusalem to avoid the problems in Samaria. So Jesus wants to join the Galileans as they come down to to Jerusalem. That's why he heads from Ephraim through Samaria to Galilee. We can meet up with the crowds and take the pilgrimage. That makes sense? And probably 92% of you didn't even know or care about the problem of geography I just mentioned. So, but it bugged me. (laughs) And so he happened, he went to Jerusalem, then he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Verse 12 Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. Now it's not important what village, and so we're not told. But Jesus was getting ready to go into a village, so on the outskirts of the village, there were these ten men who were leprous. Um, They're outside the town because lepers were not allowed to go into a town. Now, let me explain that word leprosy. In the Old Testament, the word leprosy is kind of a broad term for like an infectious surface illness. And the reason we know it's not always what we technical leprosy is because uh, they talk about walls having leprosy which is really more of a mold or mildew like we might say black mold and they they give instructions of you know in the old testament what do you do if a wall has leprosy um in the new testament i think virtually every time it's mentioned it's the real leprosy now we don't use that term leprosy as much anymore the, the correct term, we call it Hansen's disease. That's named after the uh, scientists who discovered and isolated the, the microorganism that causes leprosy. So we call it Hansen's disease. The problem was, and the Bible said, if someone gets leprosy, especially in these cases when it's actually Hansen's disease, they were to keep their distance because it's infectious. And one of the problems is, it had a very slow incubation period you know we've all been through this remember covid and you think okay when was i exposed how many weeks have i got well the incubation period for leprosy could be five ten years or more so i mean it's a slow growing organism and so that was so so they were so they couldn't get near the town and so the closest they could get is on the outskirts of town and they couldn't get go and walk up and talk to Jesus, and so they're they're outside the city when they encounter and they and they stood afar off because that's what you're supposed to do. How far off we're not told, but I read one source that said if if the wind was at your back, if the, you know, if the wind was coming from you, you had to stay at least fifty feet away. So I'm going to recommend next time a COVID thing comes up, we'll say a fifty year fifty foot social distancing. Uh, but they kept their distance. And, and, and so, so they're outside the city and they see Jesus going in. In verse 13 it says, and they lifted up their, literally voice, singular. They lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when I say they, they, they lifted up their voice together, uh, one, that just shows you they were, they, were, they were a group. They were a choir of lepers and that might have also, there may be another reason. One of the things leprosy does is it affects your vocal cords. And so you get a weak, raspy, hoarse voice. And so they might have said, we got to join. If we're, if, if we're going to keep our distance and if Jesus is going to hear us, we've got to join together here and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And they, maybe I should step back, too. I haven't really explained so leprosy, as I said, kind of you see it on the skin. It's a, it's a terrible disease. Um, it's, it tends to be very disfiguring. Not as much because of the disease, but the, one of the primary problems leprosy call, causes is it, it, it destroys or makes the nerves ineffective. So you cannot feel pain. And a lot of times we feel pain and think that would be lovely if I felt no pain. But God gave pain, gave us pain as a gift, and so that's one of the problems. A leper could literally put his hand on a hot stove and not know. He could literally be walking along and and terribly gash his foot, and not know until he saw the blood. And so what would happen is often, especially their extremities were absent, removed. It was a it was a terrible long-term disease and and the first actual treatment for it didn't come on the scene until 1940. And the current therapy didn't develop until about 1980. So I mean this is this was well as a matter of fact they, they considered the people with leprosy, they called them the walking dead. It's, it's, it's your it's, You're as good as dead. Not only so you had this disease, you had its disfigurements and its weakenings, and your only company could ever be other lepers. That's one of my passages that I so appreciate. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus, a leper comes to Jesus and says, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Of course, when, when God asks a question, It's not because he needs information. Talk to me. Pray. What do you want? I want to be healed. And remember what Jesus did. He put his hand on him. That was probably the first non-leprous hand that had touched that man in years. To him, the warmth of that must have been amazing. To his disciples, you can hear them gasping. and he was healed. In this case, we see the lepers at a distance. And what do they do? Notice what they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We read that quickly, but notice something. They knew his name. They knew who Jesus was. And they call him Master. By the way, that's a term that's only used, that's maybe a half dozen times in the, in the whole Greek Bible. Every other time it's used by the apostles except for these lepers. So it's quite a title of honor. It literally means someone who stands over you. And, and, but notice what they're calling. They're calling Jesus. Um, they're calling him by name and they're calling him master. They're, they're honoring him. And they know about him. They know it's Jesus. I'll, I'm going to guess they heard about the leper that was healed. I'm going to guess there may be of other lepers. They heard about all the diseases. They Remember, this is right after John 11. They might have heard of Lazarus being raised. Well, if he can raise the dead, maybe he can heal the walking dead. But certainly, the only hope these men would ever have of being restored to health and being restored to their families was this man named Jesus. And so they gathered together and said, Let's go find him. There he is. Let's say it Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It didn't say what specifically they wanted, right? They wanted healing, didn't they? But the, but the appeal is clear You've healed so many. We are cursed. Have mercy. Verse 14 says, when when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now we might read that and say, Well, that sounds kind of uncaring. You know, that's kind of like you know, when you, um, you call your dermatologist and say, I've got a sinus infection, and he says, Go call your primary care physician. We don't do sinuses here. Uh, is he just putting them off? Go, go see a priest. No, they knew what this meant. By the way, if you want some kind of not too inspiring Bible reading, you could read Leviticus 13 and 14. Leviticus 13 talks a lot about the leper and verse 14 talks about what happens. So remember, not in the Old Testament, not all leprosy was Hansen's disease. And so if you had one of these skin afflictions, you would go to a priest and he would descri- decide whether it was a, you know leprosy a, a serious skin affliction or not, not and so they would go and they there were these things they had to look for and if they announced that you had leprosy um, then and if it if it's if it resolved itself you could go back to the priest he would examine it and there would be this process of over a week of of sacrifices and other things before you would be pronounced clean so what Jesus is saying is go go show yourself to the priest And they knew what that meant. You're going to be healed. It's as if, for example, someone comes and um, maybe off the street and comes to our gym to, today and says, Can I have something to eat? And you say, Go grab a plate. We, they get the idea. If I'm grabbing a plate, that means you're going to put food on it. And when he says, Go to the priest and show yourself, that's how you're going to be confirmed be cleansed to be purified and they understood what he meant and so it was it says when they went they were cleansed and that's such a wonderful word not just healed cleansed now we do treat leprosy today matter of fact I read sometime this year that um, there's actually a a, a rise in leprosy in, in Florida recently and it would give you great comfort in Texas to know that there is one animal that carries it armadillos so the next time you see an armadillo I, I probably might think let me go back and read Luke 17 nah nah don't pick it up <laughs> Just, uh, but anyway um, so so here they are and Jesus says to them, or it says, as they went, they were cleansed. If you were to have leprosy today and go, to a, 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 go for treatment, it's a long treatment. Again, it's a slow-growing organism. It's a long process. But the best it can do is to wipe out the organism in you. The limbs that have been damaged, the scars that are there, um, that's, they can't do anything for that. But that's not how Jesus heals. They were cleansed. And so in another passage describing the healing of a leper, it's like, like the skin becomes baby skin again. So how did they notice that they were, they were healed? They were cleansed. Lepers were known for kind of shuffling with the nerve issues, the damaged limbs, all those kind of things. I wonder if it was the first clue that they could feel the soil beneath them Could they feel just that their legs were suddenly strong and they felt stable? Or did they happen to notice as they raised their hand to scratch their nose that all the fingers were there and they were never so nice looking? They looked at each other probably and said, you're healed. And I wonder if their shuffle turned into a sprint as they continued on their way but they knew they were healed. Now Jesus, by the way, I just have to say, notice how he said, go show yourself to the priest. Some have noticed, it doesn't sound very compassionate, does it? It's almost dismissive. Of course, like I said, they understood what it meant. But just sometimes we're looking for the Lord to maybe show some massive co- compassion. But he knows what we really need. They needed Healing. And there's another thing that I've seen so often in scripture I've mentioned before. You see where the blessing comes to them? On the path of obedience. I think that really first struck me just in the life of Ruth and Boaz. Remember the story of Ruth coming out of, you know, her, out of the famine, being over in the area of, uh, of Moab, and her husband has died, her sons have died. She's with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And, and, and they come back to Bethlehem, And they're they're poor. They have nothing. And so Ruth says, well, I'll do what the Bible says. I can go glean in the fields. I'll go get us some food. And so she cares for her elderly mother-in-law by going out and gleaning in the fields. Meanwhile, on the other side of the story, there was Boaz, who was a wealthy man and who owned the fields, and we, we read about him when he comes on the, into the field, he always would say, the Lord bless you, and the people would respond to that. He was a godly man, and he, he encouraged godliness. And so he saw Ruth in his field, and he said to us, who is that? You know, in a small town, everybody knows everybody, right? And, and he says, who is that? Well, that's the Moabitess that came back with Naomi. And, and, and her reputation had already spread, she left her people, she left her land, she left her God to come to Israel. And now she's caring for her widowed mother-in-law. You don't get more righteous behavior than that. And so what did he do? He started helping her. Give her some extra. Drop more sheaves. Fill her up. We're going we're to join in this compassion. But here's my point. Boaz was being a godly landowner who welcomed gleaners in his field and was kind to his servants. Ruth was being a godly daughter-in-law, caring for her widowed mother-in-law. As they were together on walking a path of obedience, God brought them together and blessed them. And so if we're looking for God's guidance and God's blessing in our lives, the first step would be obey what you know. Get on the path of obedience and see how God will be able to guide you and bless you and care for you. That's what happened to these. As they obeyed Jesus' word, they didn't argue. They didn't say, explain it. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. They did an about face and headed to the priest. And as they walked the path of obedience, they were wonderfully cleansed restored, healed. Well, verse 15 and 16 tell us, now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. I like that it said he he spoke with a loud voice. He hadn't been able to speak with a loud voice in years. He might have surprised himself. But he raised his voice with all his power And it says he glorified God. The first use he made of his healed legs and feet was to turn around and run to Jesus. And the first thing he did was to offer praise to God. He glorified God. He recognized that this healing came from the Lord God. No one else could do it. And he recognized that Jesus, I don't know if he fully could comprehend that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's a lot for not a lot of information. But he certainly knew Jesus was sent by God. And Jesus healed by the power of God. And so the first thing he did is he gave glory to God for his blessings. That's a good reminder to us, isn't it? I think too often we don't even see the blessings. But, and when we do see the blessing, do we recognize that came from God? And do we give him the praise and the glory and the honor for what he's done in our life? Well, then, almost in passing, we're told, uh, he returned with a loud voice and glorified God. He fell down on his face at Jesus' feet. Now, he he can... he can go close to Jesus. And he falls at his feet and he gave him thanks. He glorified God and he thanked Jesus. He didn't realize that that's they're one and the same. And that's okay. But he gave thanks to Jesus for the mercy and he gave God the glory for the healing. And then we're told, and he was a Samaritan. And that right there, you can just imagine the Jew reading across that and said, whoops, he was a what? A Samaritan? A Samaritan? Remember, we were told he went through the region of Samaria and Galilee to head down to Jerusalem. So, among these ten, apparently the nine were all Jews, and this was the one Samaritan. Well, Samaritans and Jews don't stick together I think that rule changes when you're all lepers. (laughs) Samaritan Jew, it doesn't matter. We are outcasts and we are banished. We might as well stick together. Though some have wondered, as they were walking to, heading towards the priest, did the Jews say to the Samaritan, you know you can't present yourself to our priest. You've got to go to your Samaritan priest and deal with your issues at your Samaritan temple. Maybe they had that discussion. I don't know if it got farther enough along. But he was a Samaritan. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Now, when God asks a question, he doesn't need information, does he? He's calling out everyone's attention. Now now notice there, ten came to me for healing. Ten walked away and were healed. Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And that to me is the question says, so we come into the Thanksgiving season, what a reminder to us. Have we been grateful enough? Have we, have we turned to the Lord with a grateful heart and thanked Him for His mercies? Where are the nine? And then he, and he digs the knife in deeper, if you will. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? He's not even a Jew, uh, he's, he's a foreigner, He's a Samaritan. I think partly, by the way, what he's doing with that is he's trying to, pro- he's, 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 he's contrasting the Jew to the Samaritan, but he's, he's challenging, shouldn't the Jews have been the first ones back? Aren't they God's people? Don't they know the right way? How is it a Samaritan gets it right? What a rebuke to the Jews. We'll talk more about that, but... One commentator, G. Campbell Morgan, again, previous generation, I I like how he expressed it as he reads this. So Jesus answered, Were not about ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Notice what he says, Mr. Morgan. What a revelation of the fact that Christ values gratitude and misses it when it's not expressed. We had another illustration of it in the chapter 7 when he went to the house of Simon. He missed the common courtesy of the eastern home. Jesus had said to Simon, you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. My head with oil you did not anoint. You neglected the common courtesies. So here's the point. Jesus is looking for our thanksgiving. He notices when we omit it. You ever notice that sometimes? Especially maybe parents or teachers with kids. You give them something. And um, they take it and move on. And some of the, sometimes the first thing you say is, do you have something to say? Aren't you going to say thank you? Or maybe maybe when we when get a little older, we're subtle. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but in other words, notice this, that, that the Lord is looking for expecting that our response to blessing is to give him praise and thanksgiving. He notices our silence. I've told the story probably every thanksgiving but I'm so reminded of that pastor of the coastal church. Most of the men in the church were fishermen. And so at the end of the year they would kind of get a summary of who, who, who died that year and so he announced how many dozens of fishermen died that year and several came up and said i, I don't remember those funerals what, what do you mean they died he said well our prayer list said we're praying for their safe return no one ever came and reported that they safely returned so i just assumed they died <laughs> of course he knew better <laughs> but he was trying to stir things up a little bit hey we ask God for blessing. He gives it. What comes next? You know, these, the Jews who left, they're still on the road. Now, we might say, yeah, but they're going to the priest and eventually to the temple. Isn't that worshipful? I think the clue here is if their heart was really on the Lord, they would have turned back to Jesus. No, they're heading to the priest and eventually to the temple sacrifices so they can get back to their family, so they can be brought back into society. They're, look, they're doing it. They're going to that priest in the temple as a doorway to their own comfort and, pl- and enjoyment. And I don't deny, I mean, that was they were hungry to be restored to their family and friends. But surely the first act should have been like the Samaritan to thank the God who opened that door. Who gave them the healing. And so, where were the nine? And the Samaritan's response shows his heart. The nine's response or failure to respond shows their heart. So then our Lord says in verse 19 to the Samaritan, Arise go your way, your faith has made you well. Um, you know, Lord's busy right now. He's on his way up to Galilee and, and such. It doesn't take a lot of words. when he says, you're dismissed. And I don't mean that as a dismissal. I don't want you around. It's like, I know you want to see your family. Can you imagine when these guys came through the door? What a what that must have done to the family you know think I, I don't know how you would did they did they hang out at the village extremities and try to look in and see how the kids were doing but can you imagine when they walked in that home and sat at the family table and said I'm home and so to the Samaritan he says you can go I, I know you want to be with your family but thank you for your thanks Well done in glorifying God. Arise, go your way. And then he makes the statement, your faith has made you well. Um, I didn't look at a lot of translations here, but but literally what he says in the Greek is, your faith has saved you. Now that can mean physical restoration. But notice when and how he says it. He's, he's singling out the faith of the Samaritan, contrasting it to the, to the Jews. Well, they were healed as well. He's talking to the Samaritan. You got a double healing. Body and soul. Your faith has saved you. Through, we're saved by grace through faith. God's opened your eyes to see who I am and who he is. Your faith has made you, has saved you. And so this leper went away with much more than he imagined. Leprosy, as I said, has been compared to death. A dead man walking. Leprosy has often been compared to sin. Both leprosy and sin separate us. Sin separates us from people. Sin separates us ultimately from God. The leper was separated from his family, separated from his society, and separated from God in the sense that he couldn't go to the temple and worship. He couldn't go and and be a part of the congregation. He couldn't go into the synagogue. He was excluded. Sin separates Leprosy separates. I mentioned that one of the the, the medical effect of leprosy is it causes, uh, uh, it it destroys the nerves. So they can't feel pain. Sin will do that. Paul talks about, for example, that sin being a callus on the heart. The more we give ourselves over to sin, the less it bothers us. We become calloused to sin. We become calloused to guilt. We become insensitive. Often many of you have experienced that after you came to know Christ and grew to know him better and walk with him more, you look back at the things you said and did before and you marvel. How could I have done that? But you're so much more sensitive now. See, sin makes us insensitive to things that dishonor God. Leprosy only gets worse. The disease continues to to manifest itself, continues to cause damage. It's a a devastating problem. And sin does the same thing. The nature of sin is it, it, it... The longer you walk in it, the further it takes you away from God, the deeper it takes you in, the greater the consequences, the greater the damage. The leper is considered to be the walking dead. The scripture says that until we trust Christ, we are dead in our sins. Spiritually, we're the walking dead until we come to know Christ. And then what happens? We are born again we are washed we are cleansed we are given life our Lord we learn from this watch our praise and thanks and he rebukes thanklessness where are the nine by the way I I put out some uh, little questionnaire about a half sheet uh, by each of the doors 10 questions to ask at your Thanksgiving dinner. You don't have to ask all 10. But sometimes we need a little help kind of focusing on on gratitude. And so you might pick up a copy of that and um, think about maybe some, some conversation starters about gratitude. The nine were so focused on the blessing they forgot the blesser. Is that a proper term? I don't know. They they were so focused on the gift. They forgot the giver. I should hold that one until closer to Christmas. Isn't it a joy when you give a gift to someone and the response is their delight in you and your thoughtfulness? Husbands, you know the feeling. When your wife just says, How did you know I needed a vacuum? So thoughtful of you. (laughs) Can I borrow your credit card? (laughs) But isn't it wonderful, though, truly, when, when the response is to the person rather than the thing? Jesus gave that blessing out of mercy, but the greatest mercy of all, if they'd seen that as a door, to turn to the God who gives all blessings. The Samaritan got it. And once again, we see him. God... Using the Samaritan, the Gentile, to confront the Jew. And saying, hey, if a, if a Gentile can get it, why aren't you honoring the God of Abraham as he did? When we come to this Thanksgiving season, what a reminder. We were dead at men walking. We didn't know how bad off we were. We were so insensitive to where sin had taken us but God in his grace and mercy drew us to himself, opened our eyes, changed our heart, made us alive. And so when we come to Thanksgiving, may we give him the praise. Warren Rearsby had this to say. He said, thankfulness uh, seems to be a lost art. He tells of a of a, minish, a, student, a seminary student or Bible college student in Illinois. He was part of a life-saving squad back in 1860. A ship went aground on the shore of Lake Michigan and Edward Spencer waded again and again into the frigid waters to rescue 17 passengers who would have perished in the cold waters that day. The effect on him was permanent permanent health issues, permanent damage to his body. Some years later at his funeral, what he did was remembered, and it was noted, that not one of those he saved ever stopped to say thank you. Well, that's saving from the frigid waters and death. Christ saves us from, from hell itself have you come to know Christ as your savior and does it fill your heart with gratitude one more medical thing I guess I'm drawn towards the medical you guys all know who James Simpson right of course you do he invented chloroform and chloroform was wonderful no you don't know it most of you think, think chloroform is that one of those new mouthwashes You know, that was the first anesthetic, which was wonderful. First of all, you could have surgery without pain. But second of all, now they could give you surgeries that they couldn't have done before. It was incredibly transformative in the world of medicine and health. So one day he was interviewed by a newspaper, Sir James Simpson, by then. And he said, Sir, what do you consider your greatest discovery? And Sir James replied, my greatest discovery was when I discovered I was a sinner in the sight of God. Of course, that's not what the reporter was looking for. And so he said, well, th- well, thank you, Sir James. Now, now, would you please tell me your second greatest discovery? Oh, by all means, he said, my second greatest discovery was when I discovered that Jesus died for a sinner like me. Yeah, changed the world with his uh, medical discovery, but he had something even better. He discovered Christ. And next to knowing Christ, being the hero medically of his age, was insignificant, worthy of a quick, barely a nod. Have you found Christ as your Savior? Have you been cleansed of sin through faith in him? Are you born again by his grace? If so, how can you keep it down at Thanksgiving? Take some time to think again of His mercies and give Him the glory and thanksgiving. If you, have yet, if you have yet to trust in Christ as Savior, hear a lesson from the lepers. They recognized their need and they went to the only one who could meet it, they went to Jesus Christ. The first thing to do is to recognize your need. Our sin, like leprosy, separates our sins, separates us from God. But if we will come to Jesus Christ by faith and trust in Him as our Savior, turning from our sin, we, we find the cleansing that draws us not just close to God, into His family. And if you have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. May this be the thanksgiving when you give thanks for new life in Christ. Our Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Healer, our Master. Thank you, Father, for the mercy of salvation so many of us know. And Father, if any have yet to believe, awaken their eyes that they too might have the joy of knowing Christ as their Savior and the forgiveness of sin. We ask this in Jesus' name.